Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Grace and Truth, a study of the book 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Nick. Book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what do we like to do here at Whitefields? We like to study through books of the Bible. And so we've been journeying through the book of 1 Corinthians right now. And one of the things I love about studying through books of the Bible is it makes you do some hard things. One of the hard things it makes you do is it makes you go through and study passages in depth that you might generally kind of skim over, skip over. And I think we have another one of those passages today. But what I've found is that these kind of passages make you dig a little more And they make you, you know, when you dig a little more, you often find even more treasure under the surface. Well, let's pray as we open God's word. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who loves us and wants to speak to us. We thank you that you're a God who came to us and was embodied like us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us as embodied beings to live in a way that honors you, that seeks you, and fulfills your purposes for our lives. And use this time in your word to move us forward in that process, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the year was 2002, and I had just moved to Hungary, where I was serving as a missionary, and the last thing on my mind was getting married. That was like the last thing I was thinking about. It was also the last thing I wanted. I wasn't interested in doing that at all. In fact, I was actually kind of against it. When I had moved to Hungary, I had a girlfriend who I had started dating shortly before I moved to Hungary. And on uh, Valentine's Day, I decided this would be a good time to break up with her. And the reason was because, um, I, you know, I don't know if you've ever done this, but it's really hard to have a relationship with somebody when you're halfway across the world. And remember, this was back before we had all these... You you know, technologies and stuff to do that kind of stuff. So we broke up because I was really, you know, busy serving the Lord, and I was excited about what I was doing in Hungary, and I didn't want to be distracted by having to maintain some relationship with somebody halfway across the world. I wanted to give that my whole focus. Well, what I was doing there, I was working with youth, I was working with students, and two days a week, I would visit a refugee camp on the edge of our city where 2,000 Afghan refugees were being housed. Now remember, this was right after 9-11. So all these Afghan refugees were flooding in to Europe, and there was this UN uh, refugee camp that we would visit. And together with another missionary, we would go to this camp twice a week, and she would visit the women and the children, and I would visit the men, and we would give out humanitarian aid, and we would also hand out Bibles in the native languages of the different nations that were there. And we would talk to them about Jesus. And we saw so many people come to Christ from Afghanistan and Pakistan and Iran during this time. It was a very special and exciting time. And I remember one day I was there in the camp in particular, this one specific day. We were at the refugee camp and we were walking between these two buildings. And I looked over at that other missionary that I was serving with. And I thought to myself, you know, if I ever do get married, I want to marry somebody just like her. You know, somebody who had a heart for ministry and for mission. Somebody who wanted to give her life in service to the Lord and to tell people about Jesus. I hadn't met very many people like that in my life before. And being around her, it inspired me to be a stronger Christian, to know my Bible better, to grow and mature in my faith. And I thought to myself, man, I hope that someday I can find somebody just like her. But that's probably not going to happen, because where, where would you find somebody like that? And then I just said, 
oh well. And I just kind of went on with my life. It took me a while to figure it out. But eventually I did figure out that I could just marry her. And then I did. It was th almost three years later, I married that other missionary. You see, originally, I didn't want to get married because I didn't want to have a ball and chain. You guys know what a ball and chain is like, right? It slows you down. It ties you down. I didn't want that. I didn't want a relationship that was going to hold me back from running the race that God had set before me. But here's what I realized. I realized that if you can find somebody who's running the same race, then it's not going to hold you back from running your race. If you can find somebody who's running the same race and heading the same direction, that relationship can actually help you to run your race rather than hinder you from running the race that God put before you. Because you can become a team, right? You wear the same shirt. You can spur each other on. You, you can encourage each other when, when the other one gets worn out or needs some encouraging. You could be a team. And so that's what happened. Rosemary and I, we were already running the same race. So we just put on the same shirt. We became a team, and we've been running that race ever since together. Friends, do you realize that you are in a race? You are in a race. Now you're like, no, I'm sitting. No, no, you are in a race right now. There is a course that God has laid out for your life, and he wants you to pursue it and go after it like an athlete running a race. Look at what it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. It says, therefore, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Now, this summer, we watched the Olympics, right? One of the things I love about the Olympics, now, I like to run, but I think that even if you don't run yourself, uh, you have to appreciate the track and field events because, right, this is just people out there with just their bodies, right? There's nothing extra. There's no devices, nothing. There are people out there with their bodies just going for it, and there's something just pure and simple about it. I love the running events, but you know what you never see in the running events? You never see anybody like carrying a backpack or like carrying like a laptop and a charger and just like running down there. Why not? You could carry a lot of stuff in a backpack. Think about it. Marathons are long. You could read on the way. You could take some notes. You could stop, take some photos. You do lots of things with a backpack. Why doesn't anybody wear a backpack? Is it against the rules? No, it's not against the rules. It's totally legal to wear a backpack in the Olympics or in a marathon. It, why don't they do it though? Well, obviously the reason is because it would slow you down. It would hinder you rather than help you. In other words, you could do it, but you don't do it because it doesn't help you to run your race. Even though it's not against the rules, you still don't do it, you see? And so what this text is telling us here in Hebrews 12 is that God has set a course for your life. He wants you to pursue it wholeheartedly. And that means that there are things in this life which will hinder you from running that race, and there are other things in this life which will help you from running this race. And what this text is telling us is that what we should do is with our eyes fixed on Jesus, cast off all the stuff that won't help us, bring on all the stuff that will help us so that we can wholeheartedly pursue the calling that God has put on your life. Now here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, what we're going to see is that the Corinthian Christians were holding on to some stuff that wasn't helping them to grow and mature as disciples of Jesus. Instead, they were holding on to stuff that was actually hurting them, not only spiritually, but also physically and emotionally as well. And Paul the Apostle, as their friend and as their spiritual father, is going to confront them about these things. And he's not just going to confront them and say, hey, don't do this. He's going to show them a better way. Not only a better way to live, but also a better way to make decisions about what we do and don't do as followers of Jesus who have received a new life in Christ. 
The title of today's message is, Why Does God Care What You Do With Your Body? Why does God care what you do with your body? And here's what we're going to see in this passage. Here's our summary sentence. This will also function as our outline for studying this passage today. As embodied beings, what we do with our bodies has spiritual significance, and knowing this helps us understand and respond to what Jesus did for us. Now we're going to have that sentence. We're going to keep repeating that throughout this message. I encourage you, take it down in your notes, take a photo, whatever you got to do to take that thought with you as you go today, that one sentence in your mind as we go. And that'll also be our outline for studying this passage. So let's break it down and study the passage. First of all, as embodied beings. Let's talk about this aspect of being embodied beings. Look at what, how Paul begins this section in chapter 6, verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Verse 13, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. In order to understand these verses and what they mean, you need to remember the context of what is happening here in this letter, what Paul's been talking about and what he's continuing to talk about here in this letter. Let me give you just a quick rundown. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians in response to two things. Two things. Number one, he wrote it in response to questions the Corinthian Christians had written to him about in a different letter, asking him doctrinal questions. So he's going to respond to that. The other thing that he wrote this letter in response to was he received a disturbing report about the Corinthian church. He received this report. And so for the first six chapters of this book, Paul has been addressing the disturbing report that he received about the Corinthian church. And then starting in chapter seven, Paul is going to answer the doctrinal questions that they had asked him in the letter that they wrote to him. But here's what's interesting. The final thing that Paul addresses regarding this disturbing report he heard about the Corinthian church is related to one of the doctrinal questions that they wrote to ask him about. And so here in this section, we're going to look at the last part of the disturbing report and the first part of answering their doctrinal questions. And you could summarize them both. Kind of the big theme of this whole section is summed up in the sentence or the question, why does God care what you do with your body? Now, isn't that a question that so many people ask today? Isn't it? Hey, Pastor Nick here. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. I've written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, I deal directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, or whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities? Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there actual proof that God exists and that the Bible is trustworthy? I address these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or who has concerns about these topics. And it's a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. 
And to celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as a gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now back to today's message. You've heard the mantra, right? My body, my choice. Other people would ask, is it really a good thing for us to base our ideas of what we should and shouldn't do with our bodies on a book that was written thousands of years ago in a completely different culture? Is that a good idea? Why would we do that? And why does God care what I do with my body anyway? Doesn't he have bigger things to worry about, like preventing nuclear wars and answering people's prayer requests and things like that? And listen, if there are things that make people feel good and it makes them happy to do those things, then why would God tell them not to do those things? Doesn't God want us to be happy? And, and why doesn't God just kind of stay in his, in his lane, worry about God's stuff, and just leave people here on earth to worry about what we do with our own bodies? In the same way that many people ask these questions today, people back then were also asking these same questions, including some of the people in the Corinthian church. Because the final issue that Paul is going to address in regard to this disturbing report is one of the most disturbing of all. And that is that he heard in this report that some of the Corinthian Christians were in the habit of visiting prostitutes. And Paul's going to address that. He's going to say, wait a second. I hear that you guys are visiting prostitutes. Others of them were involved in other kinds of sexual immorality, and they didn't see anything wrong with it. And so Paul's going to talk about this. Why does God care what you do with your body? He's going to answer that question. Now, Paul began this section earlier in chapter 6, right? In, in verses 9 through 11, which you guys looked at last week when Pastor Mike taught, Paul basically laid this out. He, re, he listed some of these immoral practices, and he said, these things are sin. And then he said, you know, these kinds of things that you're doing, these are more things related to who you used to be before you followed Jesus, before you were redeemed by Jesus. It's not who you are now. This is who you were. It's not who you are. Now you're followers of Jesus. Now you're saved. Now you've been washed and redeemed. And what Jesus did when he died for you on the cross and rose from the grave, Jesus didn't only come to forgive your past. He also came to give you a new future. He came to, give you, to make you a new person, to set your life on a whole new course. So why would you continue doing things that are sin and that God has said not to do? And so, picking up in verse 12, look at what Paul says. He says, all things are lawful for me. And then in verse 13, he says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Now, notice that both these phrases in your, in your text, they're in quotation marks. In other words, these aren't things that Paul is saying, and he's saying this is true. He is quoting from common arguments that people would give in order to justify their immoral behavior, in order to say, here's why it's okay to visit prostitutes. Here's why it's okay to have these sexual relationships that are outside the bounds of what God has laid out in Scripture as being the boundaries for, for sexual activity. And the first argument there in verse 12, some people would say, all things are lawful for me. And what that meant essentially was this, hey, I'm not doing anything illegal. That's really the argument they would make. In other words, they would say, hey, this isn't against the law. These are two consenting adults doing whatever they want to do. Listen, prostitution was legal in that society. In fact, it wasn't only legal, it was exceedingly common. 
Prostitution was so common in Corinth that we know that there was a euphemism in the Roman Empire at that time where they would say that a Corinthian companion, that was a euphemism for a prostitute. So prostitution was legal and it was common in Corinth. And so basically the, the Corinthian Christians would say, hey, visiting a prostitute is perfectly legal around here, right? And also sleeping with someone who I'm not married to, if we're both consenting adults, that's not against the law. So if I'm not breaking any laws and I'm not hurting anybody, then how can that possibly be bad? Furthermore, somebody would say, and this is the second argument that Paul brings up that he quotes that some people would, would use. Some people would say, food is, for the is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And what they meant by this is that just as when your body is hungry, you give it a sandwich, when your body wants sex, you give it sex. That's all. It's that simple. As human beings, just as we have hunger and we feed our stomachs, we also have sensual cravings and desires. And the healthy thing to do is to satisfy those desires. In other words, fulfilling your sexual urges is no different than eating a sandwich when you're hungry or going to the bathroom when nature calls. That's what these people would say. They say these are natural desires. It's how your body functions. So if we can do it in a way that's not illegal and doesn't hurt anybody, how could that possibly be wrong? We're not hurting anybody. We're not breaking any laws. Why does God care what we do then? The way that people thought about prostitution back then in Corinth, you know what it's most similar to in our day and age? See, for us, we hear prostitution, we're like, oh, that's, that's gnarly stuff, right? That's serious business. But you know what prostitution for them was most similar to in our day and age? It would be pornography. And here's why. Because people would say, hey, people have natural, sensual desires, and you're not hurting anybody, you're not breaking the law, so it shouldn't be a problem, right? You're just getting it out and you're feeling okay. And the, the question is, why does God care what you do with your body? Take a look at how Paul responds. In verse 12, Paul says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me. Again, quoting the, the argument that people would make, but I will not be dominated by anything. So first of all, here's an important point. Just because something is legal doesn't mean that it's good. See, here's the thing. God loves you, and he wants what is best for you. Do you know that? Are you, are you sure of that? Because it's true. And so listen, if, if that's true, then if God tells you not to do something, it is only and always because in his wisdom, he knows something that you don't. Is that hard for us to believe, that God actually knows something that we don't? That he knows more than we do? That he's wiser than we are? That should be pretty easy for us to believe. And so if God is wiser than we are, then listen, you know what the essence of faith is? The essence of faith is trusting God enough to do what he says. Right? So it's trusting that God really does love you, that he really is pretty smart and wise, and that if he tells you to do something, it is always for your benefit and always because he loves you. And faith means trusting him enough to do what he says, even when you don't see it. You know, there are a lot of things that aren't against the law, but they're still not a very good idea. You, you can make a list for yourself. Things that are perfectly legal and are really dumb, okay? Like you could pound your head against the wall and the police won't do anything. You could pound a nail through your hand and no one will stop you from doing that, right? Like you won't get arrested or a citation. You can drink a gallon of paint 
Uh, but that doesn't mean that you should. And so, in other words, as followers of Jesus, we don't just ask the question, is it legal when we're making a decision? We ask a bigger, more important question. Is it good? Is it helpful? Does this thing help me or hinder me in my relationship with God? In, in fulfilling or sharing, fulfilling God's purpose for my life or, or sharing the, the love and truth of God with the world? Another question that this text says that we should ask is not just, is it legal, is it helpful, but also, will it dominate me? In other words, uh, will it enslave me? Is this thing going to help me to achieve my goals and callings as a follower of Jesus? Or is it taking away from that and distracting from me? Is it stealing from me resources and time? Is it making me an addict in one form or another? Or, you know, should I do it, even if it's not necessarily sin? Sometimes one of the questions people ask me is they'll ask me, Pastor Nick, is it a sin for me to do this? And they'll fill in the blank. Is it a sin for me to do this? And what I almost always tell them is, that's the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question to begin with. Think about it like this. Think about it like if I got married, and then the day after I got married, I picked up the phone, called the police department. I said, hello, police department. Would you please give me a list I've got a pen. I'm going to write it down. Give me a list of all the things I'm not allowed to do to my wife according to the law. Right? That would be a pretty weird question to ask, wouldn't it? Right? Like, that's not the kind of question that, like, a loving husband should ask. He, the question a loving husband asks is not, what can I not do according to the law to my wife? The question a loving husband asks is, what can I do to my wife that will bring her the most joy and pleasure and happiness? And guess what? Those things are probably not against the law. In other words, asking the question, is it a sin for me to do this, is probably the wrong question for you to ask. The right question to ask is rather this. Will this thing please the Lord? Will this thing help me or hinder me in running the race that God has set before me? Will this thing add to or take away from my pursuit of God and his purposes and calling for my life? So in making a decision, Paul gives us three questions to ask. Number one, is it legal? Also related to that is, is it biblical, right? Does the Bible talk about it? And if, it's, if, if the Bible doesn't talk about it and it's not against the law, then you move on to the next question. But if the Bible does talk about it, you've got your answer, all right? That's easy. Um, next, so is it legal? Is it biblical? Next question is, okay, if it's not addressed in the Bible directly, then the next question is, is it helpful, is it helpful? And the third question is, is it enslaving? Does it serve you or does it make you serve it? But then in verse 13, Paul gets right down to the question of why God even cares, right? Like, why does God care about what you do with your body? And here's what he says. Food is meant for the body, or for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God will raise, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying that what you do with your body sexually is not the same as eating a sandwich when you're hungry or going to the bathroom when nature calls. Why? Because those things are temporary, right? They will not last for eternity. They have no eternal value or significance. But what you do with your body in regard to sex affects you in a way that's different from the way that food affects you. 
Why is that? Here's why. Because we are embodied beings. Embodied beings. Remember our sentence? It says this. We are embodied beings. What does that mean? It means that God created you as a whole person. As a whole person, you have a spirit, and he placed that spirit inside of your body. In other words, you're not just like a brain that happens to have legs. God created you as an embodied being, body, mind, and spirit. You are one being, and those three areas are connected. Your body's a major part of who you are and how you live in the world. And guess what? When your body dies, your life here on earth ends. And what the Bible teaches is that what you do with your body here on earth has implications for all of eternity. Think about how that is. What you do with your body here on earth has implications for all of eternity. What you do with your body now can affect your eternal destiny. It can affect the destinies of others. It can have other eternal ramifications. With your body, you can sin, or with your body, you can be connected to God, respond to God, be united to God. But either way, what you do with your body can have ramifications for all of eternity. And that brings us to the second part of our sentence. As embodied beings, what we do with our bodies has spiritual significance. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 